Welcome to the Cood Street Podcast. In these strange and difficult times, we're spending more and more time indoors. And so, we at Cood Street are taking a little bit of time to look at books we're reading, books we could recommend. And we're being joined by special friends, interesting people, who can come and spend 10 minutes with us to talk about what they're reading and what they're doing. Today we're joined by Alex Irvine, author of The Anthropocene Rag. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jonathan. How you doing? I'm really well. It's great to have you here. I've loved your work since The Scattering of Jades, and I don't think I've ever really had the chance to tell you that sort of in person. Well, I appreciate hearing it now. Thanks. So how is is life in, in, in Maine at the moment? Well, life in Maine is uh, a little bit claustrophobic because uh, we went to the shelter-in-place thing a little sooner than lots of other places did, and um, the weather has been not too cooperative. Um, it will have stretches of a nice couple of days, but then, you know, like the last 36 hours, it's been pouring down rain in 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that, that, that's, got, that's got to make separate, keeping separate easier, though, surely. Well, keep, you can keep separate from everybody else in the world, but, uh, but I, you know, my wife is here and I got four kids and, and, uh, so <laughs> every once in a while we want to get separate from each other too, you know? And, um, when it's sunny, we go outside a lot and when it's rainy, we don't. Um, so it's actually been, um, it's been really interesting. The parts of it that have been difficult and the parts of it that have not been difficult. Um, it's, it's, uh, it turns out to be a lot of fun just to abandon all non-essential things and goof off with your kids all the time. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, usually that's a vacation thing and now it's just every day. Yeah. Well, I've been saying it, it, it feels like a Sunday afternoon in the 1970s, you know, because you, you know, you have to stay home. All the shops are shut or you can't get access to them or do anything else. So it's like you have to like hang out in your neighborhood and live with that. Has it been harder to, to work than it normally is? Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a common thing that I think a lot of people are dealing with working from home when you got all your kids around because, uh, you know, Lindsay's a teacher. So she's trying to teach her classes online. We're handing, you know, kids back and forth and deciding who's going to do what at various times and, and trying to carve out blocks of time to get all of our, our stuff done. And then a lot of stuff you just let go, you know, it's just not getting done. I've been really lucky that, uh, all the game work and that kind of thing that I've been doing hasn't been affected by any of the layoffs or slowdowns. So I got to find some wood to knock on. And that, and so I've been, you know, chugging along doing that stuff and, you know, trying to find some time to read and write new fiction. And, and, um, and so it's, uh, it's different. Everything feels like it has slowed down a little in some ways. Also gotten a lot more hectic in others. So let me ask you, if you're staying indoors, what have you been reading lately? I have been reading. Uh, I went on a binge fairly recently and reread a bunch of old Elmore Leonard novels um, because they're all perfect. Well, the ones that I read. Um, no, I have my favorites, you know, and, and there's uh, – and I'm sure they're the same as everybody else's favorites. But uh, And then I've been reading a lot of, uh, a lot of history, a lot of biographies. Um, and some older fiction. I've been, uh, dipping back into like Tristram Shandy and part of that is for research and because I'm tinkering with a story that takes place in the, in the early 18th century in, uh, mostly in London. But, and so, you know, I love getting that voice in my head and, you know, I just read, uh, Peter Ackroyd's biography of Blake and, uh, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And, uh, and some other biographies too, biographies of, you know, uh, Da Vinci and John Ford, the director, who it turns out is from Portland, Maine, which, uh, I did not know. 
so I've been the kind of steeping myself in, uh, in various histories and enjoying that. And then reading some short stories. I think the newest books that I've read, I read, uh, Rushdie's, uh, Don Quixote book, which, uh, which I really liked and a book by Tommy Orange called There There, uh, which is about, uh, contemporary Native Americans in Oakland, which was also really, really good if you haven't read it. And so, yeah, all over the map. And is there anything, given that these are difficult times, would you recommend people look to, to comfort reading or challenging reading, you know, sort of? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people do turn to comfort reading, like they read uh, their favorite Agatha Christie novels or whatever from when they were a kid. And I guess that's a little bit of what I was doing with Elmore Leonard. Just, um, but but also, I like reading him. Just, I, I feel like I learn something from him every time I read him. I tend to, in times like this, I like to read new things. I, I, I guess I wish I had those comfort books like the way that I did when I was a kid. You know, there, when I was a kid, there were books that I read literally to pieces, as I'm sure you did too, and everybody. It, and uh, then when I was when I was an adult, I went out and got a bunch of those books again, um, and kept them, and I still have copies, but they're kind of like they're they're mementos at this point. You know, they're not books that I go back to. Anymore. And there's always that fear that they've been visited by what was it that Joe Walton called it the suck fairy that that book that you <laughs> loved when you were 16 isn't the book yeah. you that, 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 that you'd read now. Yes, yes, that would be uh, that'd be sad. There are books that I have avoided because of that fear. And the other thing that's happening in, around uh, that I very much want to talk about is you have a new short novel out in the world, Anthropocene Rag. Yes, I do. It's quite a thing. I mean, I, I have to say as a, you know, as a disclaimer that I was very lucky and I got to be the editor and, a, you know, the acquiring editor on this one. And I love the story a great deal. Can you give readers a sense of what the story is? Maybe. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I'm glad to hear you say that you feel like you were lucky to edit the book because I felt like it was lucky to have you too. And so, uh, it was a, a match made in heaven. But what is the so the story is about um, a, an envisioned future of the United States in which everything has been kind of endlessly broken down and endlessly remade by successive waves of escaped nanotechnology that uh, that localizes and becomes sentient in different places. And then against that backdrop, there are still plenty of human beings living there. Um, some just trying to, you know, get along with their lives and live their lives. The other thing that it's about is stories and the different stories that people tell each other and what happens when these emergent intelligences start to try to understand where they come from. Because it, it's always seemed to me that all the, Artificial intelligence stories I read, the AIs are either going to, they will either serve us or they will destroy us or they will forget about us or something. But I, it struck me that if I, if I came into being just kind of ab nihilo and, and, uh, and then I figured out that I was created by these inferior beings, um, who didn't really understand me and who I didn't really understand and I had no way of finding common ground with, that would be a really kind of confusing and lonely place to be. And, so these AIs that find themselves in, the, in that position in the book, they start telling themselves stories. And whose stories do they have to hand? Well, there are stories. And so they, they, they tell them and they retell them and they remix them trying to make them make sense. So it really is a, a, a chaotic literalization of myth and legend and story through nanotech. But it's actually focused through these six people who get golden tickets. It's Charlie and the fact, Char, Chocolate Factory meets Mark Twain in the Midwest kind of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, I, I, I love Huckleberry Finn, and so uh, the part of me wanted to write a story about a bunch of people lighting out for the territory. But the problem with the, the, the smart thing that Twain did was the book ended when Huck Twain lit out for the territory. You know, you never find out what he had to deal with when he got there. Um, and then I've always loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory too. Um, the, the, speaking of kids' books that uh, that you still have. Um, I just read it to my, uh, my younger son last year, I think. Um, but yeah, there's these six people in the book who, uh, seemingly randomly get, get bestowed these golden tickets by this, uh, this, this wandering nano construct, uh, by the name of Prospector Ed. And the deal is this, that Ed is supposed to give them the golden tickets and say, you get to go to Monument City now. Monument City is being this semi-mythical place, probably somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Um, but he's not supposed to help them. But the problem is that in parallel with all this other stuff with the artificial intelligences and the constant remaking of the country, stories being made literal and uh, um, and the landscape being remade into stories, essentially, there's these real people trying to navigate their way through that. And Prospector Ed starts to emerge himself. And so he finds himself doing things like disagreeing with his instructions, which he's never done before. And he's confused by this and he doesn't want to do it, but it's happening anyway. And so he starts helping them. Which he's not supposed to do. So when did this story first occur to you? Oh, man. Um, I first had the idea for Monument City in a slightly different version in 2002 or three, And I knew right away, Prospector Ed sort of presented himself right away. I knew he was going to be in it. And so did Life 7. Um who's another character in the book. And then I fooled around with it and put it down. I fooled around with it and put it down and for the next, you know, 12 or more years. And then, um, one day, literally one morning while I was working on something else, the first line of the book just kind of fell into my head. And I sat up straight in the chair and I was like, Oh, now I know how to write this book. And it, it, so it, it, it took, you know, a long, long time for the, for the idea to stew around. Um, but then once that happened, I was, uh, I was caught in kind of off and running and I wrote it, wrote it pretty fast. And did you find the, the basic idea kind of evolved as well, or, or was it still kind of the same core story? It was just finding the path into it that was the issue. Well, so Monument City was always there. The, the golden tickets were there from pretty early on. Um, I even knew or thought I knew who most of the human characters were. Um, the trick was what really knit it all together was when I let life seven kind of blow up the whole perspective on everything. Um, because for a book that was going to be about people telling each other stories and about stories made real, I realized I was kind of holding onto it too tight and I needed to, uh, I needed to give the story a little bit more room to kind of retell itself along the way too, because that was the, that was what it was trying to talk about. And so once, once, um, once I let up on life seven a little bit uh, and, uh, and then, uh, then everything kind of coalesced around, around, uh, that rhythm between when we see the other characters and then, and then we, and then we watch life seven, try to puzzle everything out. Um, And are you happy with the way the story ended up turning up? I mean, I think I was taken by how immediately engaging, 
and enjoyable it was. It's it's a very told kind of a story, and you're mm. I think you're you're pulled into that. You know, it, it does feel like the kind of things that that's narrated to you, uh, which mm. I think is a great strength of it. Are you happy with with the, the way it ended up though? Yeah. Good. Yep. That's exactly it's it's exactly the way that I wanted to end it, and I finished it. I wrote that ending, and I and um, I thought this is not the ending a lot of people are going to expect. Mm-hmm. And then, so I put the I put the book away for a while, and I let it sit, and then I went back and looked at it again, and I was like, no, this is this is the right ending. Um, and because the book lands exactly on the point where it's asking all of the questions yeah. that I wanted to ask. And, um, and, and yeah, and it is told, you know, there's, um, and you know, when you're, because, and that's something that I was consciously thinking about Twain too, because, you know, Huck Finn is a very told mm. book. You can, you know, you can hear the yeah. voice the whole time yeah. through. Um, and so there's, um, so when, but you know, when you, when you get to a story, sometimes when somebody is telling you a story, they get you right up to the point where the, the actual crux of the story happens and then they just look at you. Yeah. Like you're supposed to know the answer after that, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I wanted this book to do or, yeah. or, or try to do. Yes. Um, and, uh, I'm aware that there are, there are going to be readers who, uh, who oh. want something a little more. Yes. Um, delivered. Yeah, to what you know, tied off, but it's not the kind of book that uh, that ties itself off. It's about how things aren't tied off, and so that's uh, I. But no, the the short answer is that I'm really, actually, really happy with the the ending um, because it took me so long to get there. By the time I figured it out, it was it, it felt like <laughs> finally I found this. <laughs> and it took so long. And I guess I should ask: is is there going to be an audio version of this? Do you know? It seems like a a book that would be well suited to it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to, I would love there to be one. I wouldn't mind reading it, actually. That'd yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I like, I like reading stuff. And I should but, ask you before, before we wind up, uh, is there, yeah. what else are you working on? Is there anything else you have out in the world that people should be keeping an eye out for? Well, I got some, uh, I just had a story in a, 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 another novella in, uh, FNSF called Chisel and Chime. Um, I've got some other short stories kicking around out there. I'm working on, um, a couple other probably novels, maybe novellas there's, um, and so there are a lot of things going on at once. Um, which is, uh, which is how I like it. Cause usually I'm working on, you know, five, six, eight different things at once. And then one of them will catch fire and I'll finish it. And then I go back to this hopper of, uh, of other stories that are in various stages of development, you know? Um, so a, a bunch of things, a bunch of things. And, and, uh, and I am excited to see where they all go. Excellent. Well, Anthropocene Rag is available through bookstores, e-bookstores, everywhere else around the world. So people can get a, can get a hold of it right now. I'd like to thank yeah. you for taking the time to join us t- today, Alex. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>